let's pray as we get ready to look together at uh, the Word of God this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for your presence in this place. And uh, now as we look to your Word, we ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear and uh, continue to hear and receive from you. And we thank you for that. Lord, we just say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, praise the Lord. But yes, thank you. Uh, so uh, last week, we began a new teaching series on the kingdom of God. Uh, and we're going to continue that for a little while. We're answering questions. What is the kingdom of God? What does Jesus have to say about the kingdom of God? Most importantly, why does it matter to you right now? In that first lesson last week, I shared a little bit about what the kingdom of God is, uh, as well as the bottom line reality that the mere existence of the kingdom of God, and coupled with God's desire to shape and fashion for himself a kingdom people, means uh, there is a very real, unavoidable division in the world. A division between those who come to Jesus and follow Jesus as he really is, and those who do not. Everyone was made in the image of God, but not everyone will become a part of God's kingdom people. So I want to continue to talk a little bit about the kingdom of God this morning, and just to get us focused and moving, would you stand with me, please, in honor of the word of God? And we're going to read together Luke chapter 13, verses 18 to 21. Luke 13, verses 18 to 21. I'll read the plain text if you join me in reading the highlighted portions that we will walk through the passage together. Luke 13, beginning of verse 18, this is what the Bible says. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Last week I explained that in its simplest form, the kingdom of God is basically the experience and the result of the rule and reign of God in the world. In other words, it's the beautiful glorious thing you get when everyone and everything functions in perfect accord in perfect alignment with the will and the word and the character and the plan and the design and the love and the righteousness of God and as I mentioned then the kingdom of God was the fundamental message of Jesus he preached about the kingdom of God he taught about the kingdom of God he demonstrated the kingdom of God everywhere he went. And today Jesus desires for you, his people, to carry on that mission of teaching, proclaiming, and demonstrating the kingdom of God wherever you go. When God first made this world, he made it perfect. He made it a paradise. He filled it with his presence. It was ruled by his justice. It was a place that reflected all around the glory and the goodness of God. But you don't have to look very far today to recognize something has gone terribly wrong. Watch five minutes of the evening news 
And paradise is not likely the word that comes to mind. Watch 10 minutes of any Netflix movie and you're going to need to wash the language out of your ears. We've taken the beautiful, glorious world God made, the paradise God made, a world where things worked perfectly according to God's own good plan, and we broke it and we twisted it beyond recognition, often imagining we were going to make it better in the process. But you'd be hard-pressed today to find anybody who's not deeply disturbed by something they find in the world around them. Yet in spite of the mess we made of things, God in His goodness and in His compassion promised to make things right again. He promised to send a Savior into the world to restore people to Him and to reestablish His kingdom vision, His kingdom uh, ideal of a world of righteousness and peace and joy. And so in the fullness of time, Jesus came to do exactly that. He showed us what God was like. He showed us what it looks like to live in communion with God. He offered up his perfect life in payment for the penalty of our sin. He rose from the dead to offer new life to anyone who would agree to follow him. And one day he said he's coming back to bring the fullness of the kingdom of God with him. And now while we wait for Jesus to return and bring the fullness of the kingdom with him, we yearn and we pray and we work to see that kingdom come in part everywhere we are, everywhere we go, to everyone with whom we come in contact. Now in Luke's account of Jesus' life on earth, the two parables we read together a moment ago, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast, are preceded by really a fascinating event in which Jesus demonstrates the power and the presence of the kingdom of God. I want to read part of it to you. Found in Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 10. This is what it says in the Bible. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. And the first thing I want you to notice from this account of Jesus' life is that Jesus noticed this woman. He saw her, and he saw her affliction. He noticed, and he cared. It's so easy today to ignore people. To just kind of, especially people who are afflicted, or broken, or hurting. So easy to cut your eyes away and pretend like they're not there. To, 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 to hope they don't make eye contact with you. To hope they don't come over and ask for money or ask for help. But I want you to understand that when the kingdom of God comes into a broken and hurting world, that's not at all what the kingdom of God acts like. You need to understand that the kingdom of God notices pain. It notices suffering and loneliness and brokenness and need. Because in the kingdom of God, listen, those things are all out of place. And so people who serve the kingdom of God work to make them out of place here as well. 
goes on and says, When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Jesus saw her and he acknowledged her. He engaged her, he spoke to her, and he touched her. And I want to remind you what I've told you before. To bring the kingdom of God to the lonely, hurting people around you, you're going to have to reach out to the lonely, hurting people around you. To bring the the kingdom of God to the lonely, hurting people around you, you're going to have to speak to the lonely, hurting people around you. You're going to have to reach out to them. You're going to have to talk to them. You're going to have to touch them in the name and the love of the Lord. You're going to have to say, hi, how are you doing? Maybe give them a blessing bag. Maybe buy them a bus pass. Maybe you have them over for dinner. Maybe you say, hey, why don't you come watch the game with me? You're going to have to listen to them and sit down with them. As a people who believe in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, you might need to lay hands on them and believe God to see them healed. The manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit, prophecy and and, and words of wisdom and words of knowledge and working in miracles and gifts of healing and and faith, those, those manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit are meant to demonstrate the reality and the power and the presence of the kingdom of God right here and right now. That's what they're for. And they're meant to function out there where people don't yet know Jesus. As you keep reading through this incident, this is where the whole thing gets really disturbing. Jesus notices this woman. He acknowledges this woman. He touches this woman. She is instantly healed. And then the Bible says this, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Believe it or not, the synagogue ruler was actually upset that Jesus brought the kingdom of God to this broken, crippled woman. Now, to be honest, I suspect he was upset because Jesus healed her and he couldn't. And so let me just say, there is no place for jealousy or competition or selfish ambition in the kingdom of God. But I share this episode to you primarily because it is the lead-in to Jesus' parables about the mustard seed and the yeast. So i got to tell you, if I was Jesus in that episode, I'd have been really, really discouraged by the reaction of the synagogue ruler and several of the synagogue rulers with him. Imagine you were Jesus. You've been teaching and preaching about the coming of the kingdom of God. You've been trying to tell people what God's like. And then all of a sudden you demonstrate the kingdom of God by healing a woman who's been crippled for 18 years. And a bunch of people who should have gotten it miss the point entirely and actually get angry at you for doing it. I don't know about Jesus. I would have been discouraged. We've been talking for a while now about engaging the people around us for Jesus, about pioneering for the gospel and contending for the kingdom of God about waking up from our slumber and making the most of every opportunity we've read books together about loving and reaching our neighbors and engaging lost people with good questions we've brought in outside people to help better equip us to think and act like missionaries right now in the world all around us and with all this talk 
about reaching out and making a difference and making disciples. The truth is, it has the potential to be discouraging if nobody around you seems to care. It has the potential to be discouraging if you're not actually trying to do any of those things we're talking about. It has the potential to be discouraging if you're not sure other people are either. It can be discouraging. It can be discouraging to listen to the naysayers, to find opposition, to hear on the media day after day, America is becoming less and less Christian, to hear people around you saying all the time, nobody wants to know about Jesus, nobody wants to listen about Jesus. Nobody's going to listen to you when you talk to them about Jesus. That can be discouraging. It can be discouraging if the devil or maybe your friends or your spouse tells you over and over again, you can't do that, you can't pull that off, this isn't going to work. It can be discouraging to hear it's too late, the people and the culture are too far gone, you missed your opportunity 25 years ago. It can be discouraging. And the temptation is to get discouraged and to quit before you even try. But I'm here this morning to say do not be discouraged. Don't give in to that temptation. People are more open than you can possibly imagine. And I believe with all my heart, they are becoming more and more open every day as the world gets creepier and darker and more broken. Kent Hunter, the guy we brought in a couple weeks ago to do the workshop, to teach us how to think like missionaries in the world around us. One of the things he does is he encourages people to engage with waiters and waitresses when they go out to eat. Uh, to, to say, to learn their names, and when they bring the food, say, hey, we're about to pray for the food. Is there anything we can pray for you? Anything at all? And the main reason he encourages, the, it's fascinating to me, the main reason he encourages people to do that is to prove to you, to prove to you that complete strangers will regularly open up to you if you will just give them the opportunity, often in staggeringly personal ways. Now, I've been doing that off and on since I was in college, before I ever heard of Kent Hunter. Sometimes I'll, I'll do that with a waiter or waitress just to try and open up a connection with them, especially if it's a place that I, I go to not infrequently. Sometimes I'll do that with a waiter or waitress just to force myself to get out of my shell and engage. Because, listen, I'm an introvert. I am more comfortable with a book than with people. And, and so, but I know God has called me to reach out. And so sometimes I'll do it just to force myself to talk to somebody I don't know. And I'll do it. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I go, I go to uh, Landmark a lot. I have uh, breakfast meetings at Landmark a lot. It's in the neighborhood not too far from here. And just a couple of weeks ago, I was having a breakfast meeting there, and I had a waitress I never had before. That doesn't happen to me a lot at, at Landmark. They introduced themselves. We started talking. They brought the food. I said, hey, we're going to pray for our food. Is there anything we can pray for you for? She said, well, I have rheumatoid arthritis. It's really unpleasant being on my feet all day long. I said, well, we're going to pray. And so with her there, we prayed for food, prayed for her, prayed for God to touch her and heal her. She went away. We had our meeting. We ate our breakfast. I didn't think anything else about it. Until about three days later, I went back to the same restaurant for a lunch meeting. And I was sitting down with somebody else for a lunch meeting, same restaurant. That lady was not my waitress. I'd been there a few minutes. I a regular waitress and started waiting on her. But that lady, the one I prayed for three days later, saw me from across the room. And I swear to you, she almost ran to me. To say, hey, how are you doing? It's so good to see you. I met her once, three days earlier. I, I said, how's your rheumatoid arthritis? She said, oh, it's about the same. I thought, okay, well, so she hadn't had a miraculous healing the day I prayed for her, which means this. The mere fact 
that I reached out to her and talked to her and cared about her and prayed for her had such an impact on her, she couldn't wait to run over and say hi when she was on duty. She had people to wait on. It clearly impacted her that I just said, hey, can I pray for you? I want to encourage My whole point in sharing that is simply this. Do not be discouraged by the naysayers. Whether they're in your family or in the media or, or the synagogue ruler, whoever it is, don't stop reaching out before you've even tried it. Now, I don't know if Jesus was discouraged or not when the synagogue ruler got angry at him. But his response, I am confident, was meant to encourage you. And so the Bible says right after that episode, he, he rebukes the ruler. The people are embarrassed by his rebuke. And then it says this. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. And here's the point of Jesus' parable. The point is clear. He's saying this, listen to me, when it comes to the kingdom of God, things often start out small but end up having a huge impact. In the kingdom of God, Little things can make an enormous difference. Every prayer you pray, every kind word you share, every conversation you initiate, every time you invite someone to coffee, every time you invite somebody to dinner, every time you invite somebody to watch the game with, with an intent to bless them with the kingdom of God, every time you notice something going on, and talk, every time you listen to their problems, Every time you share with them a God story of how God helped you with a similar problem, it may seem like a small thing at the moment, but God can use it to do great things to advance his kingdom and to change the entire outcome of someone's life. And let me be very clear. I am not talking about random acts of kindness. I am talking about intentional acts of kingdom where you understand your identity as a kingdom person, a part of the kingdom of God. And that is how you think, and that is who you believe you are, and that's how you think everywhere you go, and you intentionally look for opportunities to bring the kingdom of God to bear on the circumstances and the people all around you. Small things, little things done in the name and the love of God. In the hands of an infinite God can change the course of someone's life. What is the kingdom of God like? It's like a mustard seed. I put them in your chairs this morning. There's a little card there. Sow seeds for the kingdom. You got, I don't know, four, five, six mustards. Those are actual mustard seeds. And don't, you know, don't eat them. They're gross. And if you pull the tape off, they will roll everywhere. I'm just going to tell you. We're going to be vacuuming mustard seeds around here for a long time. What's the kingdom of God like? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden and it grew and became a tree. Listen, Jesus uses hyperbole here. Mustard seeds don't grow into trees. Mustard seeds do grow into very large plants. They don't grow into trees. Jesus said, in the kingdom of God, things get bigger than in the natural. What's the kingdom of God like? It's like yeast, a very small bit of leavened dough that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour 
until it worked all through the dough. In the kingdom of God, a tiny seed that you sow can impact everything around you and change the course of someone's life. A little bit of yeast that you work with can turn into a whole big mess of bread. By the way, I love the fact that these, these examples Jesus uses seem to imply that, that, that ministers in the kingdom of God, workers in the kingdom of God, missionaries in the kingdom of God are just regular men and regular women just like you, just like me, going about our daily business, tending the garden, planting seeds, kneading dough, doing what we do all the time anyway, but doing it with faith-filled gospel intentionality. Don't get discouraged. You don't have to start some gigantic program. You don't have to start some 501c3 or you don't have to take your family and move to the Serengeti. You just need to love God and love people right where you are and make a commitment to reach out to them right where you are. In the kingdom of God, little seeds can yield massive fruit. So how does it work? How does it work that God takes these tiny tiny acts of faithfulness that we sow into people and makes gigantic results? How does that work? The short answer is nobody knows. In Mark's account of Jesus' life, right before Jesus shares the story of the mustard seed, he says this. This is what the kingdom of God's like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts, though he does not know how. How does it work? I don't know. Does it work? I believe God, yes. Yes, I believe it will. All by itself. The soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it. The, the harvest is coming. How does it work? I don't know. That part is up to God. This I do know. Your job is to sow the seed. To love and bless the people you encounter. To demonstrate and share the kingdom of God. To share what God has done for you. To live a life filled with hope and then explain why you have so much hope. To pray for people and lay hands on them and expect God to do something in their life, to change their life. You take those tiny little mustard seeds and you share them with everybody you can. And then look at this. It says night and day, whether he sleeps or gets, whether you're awake or not, whether you're there or not, you share your seed and you leave, you're not even there anymore. The seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how. Why? Because it's not up to you. The harvest isn't your problem. The harvest isn't your business. The result is not your concern. Sowing is your problem. Sowing is your business. Sowing is your concern. You don't, and it, then leave. And let God do what God's going to do. Listen, if you're discouraged this morning about the future of America, if you're discouraged this morning about the future of the kingdom of God, if you're discouraged this morning about the future of this city or your family or your life, if you're discouraged this morning about your potential to make a difference, if you're discouraged about your place and power in the kingdom of God, I promise you, you're not listening to Jesus. And, 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 I, and I don't think you really understand how this kingdom of God thing works yet. You plant the mustard seed, it's God's job to grow trees. You work the yeast, it's God's job to spread it everywhere 
he can. And if you're sitting there thinking, I don't have that much to offer, you only need a little bit of yeast. You only need a mustard seed. And if you're sitting there thinking, I don't have much to offer, please don't ever forget, you have the spirit of the living God in you. And there is nothing he can't do. He can take even little things and bring great things from them. The main issue is that you do something with the little that you have, that you make a point of planting seeds, that you make a point of working the dough, that you make a point of reaching out on purpose as a kingdom person every chance you get. Get your identity right. Realize who God has made you in Jesus. That you reach out every chance you get, not with random acts of kindness, but with intentional acts of kingdom. With that in mind, I want to close by sharing one last thought with you. I understand all across America today, all around the world, I assume, I suspect more so in America than in the world, there are tons and tons and tons of Christians who are depressed, or antsy, and generally unhappy. They're not walking in the joy of the Lord. They're not walking in the peace of God. They're Christians. But they're depressed, they're unhappy, they're antsy. And the truth is, it's because they're not focused on the kingdom of God. And they're not sowing into the kingdom of God. They're down or they're depressed or they're sad or they're lonely. They're antsy and generally discontented. And they think it's because they want a girlfriend. They think it's because they want a boyfriend. They think it's because they want a husband. They want a wife. They want a family. They think it's because they hate their job. They think it's because they hate their family. They think it's because they hate their boss. They think it's because they want a nicer car. They think it's because they wish they were retired. They think it's because they wish they had a better retirement. But the truth is, they're lonely or angry or depressed or antsy because they're focused on themselves and what they wish they had instead of being focused on the kingdom of God. They're obsessed with a girlfriend they don't have. They're obsessed with a job they don't have. When God wants them obsessed with Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom, all over America, there are Christians, and they're sad, or they're angry, or maybe some of both. And they say it's because nobody cares about me. They say it's because nobody's thinking about me. But that's not true, because they're thinking about themselves all the time. The answer to their loneliness, and their depression, and their general discontentedness is to change their focus, to change their want-tos, to change the energy and the activity that they're pouring into things, to change it off of themselves and what they don't have into Jesus and the kingdom of God, to change it from what they wish they could have or wish they could do to what they can do and should be doing for the lost and the hurting and the broken all around them. And I can tell you on the authority of the words of Jesus, if those people will change their focus, if they will change their energy and put them there, 
But Jesus puts it this way. He says, but seek first, before you seek anything else, more than you seek anything else, but seek first what? His kingdom. But seek first His kingdom. The kingdom of God, the purpose of God, the great eternal missionary task of God. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness in all these things. All the things you really need, all the things God wants you to have, all the things, including the peace and the contentment and the joy and the meaning and the purpose and the love you so desire. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. I want to encourage you to take that little visual aid we left you today and put it somewhere. Put it on the mirror of your car. Stick it on your refrigerator. Put it in your purse. Put it somewhere. And let it remind you who you are. And let it remind you why you exist. And the power you have to do little things that can make gigantic changes in the world around you. What's the kingdom of God like? It's like a mustard seed. The guy took and planted his garden. He went to bed. He went away. I don't know. Maybe he moved to Canada. It came up anyway. He doesn't know how because that's not his problem. His job is to sow the seed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power and the clarity of your word. Lord, you have been so good to us. You continue to be so good to us. You, 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 you've saved us. You've forgiven us. You've guaranteed our future. And in the present, you walk with us and show us where to be, what to do, how to walk, how to live. And you've given us the extraordinary privilege of being a part of your kingdom and making a difference in the world that will last forever. Lord, help us be encouraged by the truth of your word, encouraged by the call to advance your kingdom and give us faith and faithfulness to sow seeds and work dough and trust you with the results. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.